Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome to Everyday Theology. With me today, I am glad to have uh, a naked pastor, and by that I mean David Hayward, who is known on Instagram as at Naked Pastor. David, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having me, and hello, everybody. Now, David, if you wouldn't mind, would you give our listeners a little bit of your story, um, a little bit about you and where you kind of kind of moved theologically uh, through the years uh, to get okay. into what we want to talk about today, which is your art and how you've deconstructed? Yeah, um, I, I'm, uh, I left the ministry. Let, let's start at the end. I'll read the last page and then I'll go back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I left the ministry in 2010, and and I was a pastor for, you know, um, long story short, about 15 years at a, a vineyard church uh, here in St. John, New Brunswick. And, um, you know, when I left the ministry, I went and taught at a university for a couple of years. And then uh, after that, I decided to tr- try uh, devoting my efforts full time to naked pastor and uh it worked so that's what i've been doing ever since um by you know writing and doing my cartoons and uh, my books and uh counseling and i have an online community called the lasting supper and so on so uh but it's you know it took me a long time to get to where i am i love what i do now i feel i'm really in you know um in my stride, I feel like I'm doing exactly what I was made to do and yeah. fulfilling everything I, I love to do. I just love my, my job, if you want to call it. <laughs> I to call it a job when I, you know, I feel like I'm playing half the time. But um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I'm a Canadian, grew up in Canada, um, in Ontario, around Toronto. Um, and uh, we... We were like a Christian family. We moved around. We weren't dedicated or committed to any one denomination or anything. We just went to wherever church was uh, convenient, wherever we were living at the time. We moved a lot. Um, but then when I was around 15, I was going to a, a, a boys club that hmm. ended up being run by a Baptist church. And I got kind of, I guess what you'd call born again at this boys club, uh, we were playing ball hockey and afterwards the youth pastor spoke and then, you know, basically said, you know, if anybody wants to become a Christian, you know, just stay afterwards. And a couple of my other friends didn't, I thought, okay, well, whatever, sure. I'll stay behind and stay behind. And, and they said, just, you know, wait 
by yourself there in the hall and somebody will come around to you and talk with you and pray with you. And somebody came around, handed me a track, the four spiritual laws <laughs> and uh, said, repeat after me, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I uh, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my sin. Please come into my heart as my personal Lord and savior. Please come into my heart as my personal Lord and savior. Amen. Amen. Okay. Good night. <laughs> so, I went home and my mom was watching TV. My dad was working, and I said, "I said, Mom, I became a Christian tonight." And she goes, "That's nice." And I went to bed. That was it. Oh gosh, <laughs> which which is so different from my very Pentecostal upbringing. Uh, yeah, I imagine, <laughs> which was you know uh, exuberant all the time about uh, that <laughs> i know yeah i know i get it I, now listen that that was in my future for sure uh, because not long after that we switched to the pentecostal church in canada and uh i know all about exuberant man and um yeah so in fact it's funny uh when i was in the baptist church uh made friends with the guy and he talked me into joining his christian band ebenezer stoned was mm-hmm. band. And, um, <laughs> Sounds like a very, very good Christian band name. Yeah. And uh, I, I learned how to play drums because we needed a drummer. So I just learned how to play drums. And um, he got us a gig at the Pentecostal church, the local Pentecostal church. And we're Baptists at the time and uh, just teenagers. <clears throat> and um, at the evening service, the Sunday evening service. And uh, so we played some of our songs and stuff. And then afterwards there was the altar call. That's when things got crazy, man. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. Right. And I actually was throwing my drum over the heads of people on the floor, you know, sprawled out on the floor or whatever, uh, to my friends, like we got out of there as fast as we could. <laughs> And I ended up becoming a member of that church like uh, the next year um, and fell in love with it. Um, and our pastor was very cool and all that. And from there, I went to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, which is Pentecostal, Assembly of God. Yeah. And yeah. Rest in peace. Um, and she's from Alabama. Um, talk about polarities. But uh, we fell in love. And she came from a holiness church uh, in in deep South Alabama. And, uh, you've just really got all the different kinds of churches, man. I tell you, <laughs> and it was, I, you know, I, it was, I entered there one summer, interned there one summer and telling you, man, that was an experience. And, um, you know, we, we fell in love. We got married, uh, ended up going to Gordon Conwell theological seminary and got my master's in new Testament and under Gordon fee. And then, um, from there, I switched to Presbyterian. I got ordained in the Presbyterian Church. I served as a minister to the Presbyterian Church in Canada for, I don't know, I think maybe 12 years. And then I just got bored and wanted I, – I, what actually happened, I didn't just get bored. I, Being Pentecostal, um, where the emphasis, I dare say, is an experience. Yeah. Uh, and the Presbyterian, where the emphasis in a, is on um, doctrine, let's say. Right. Um, I missed when I was in the Presbyterian church, even though I fell in love with theology, I missed the 
experiential aspect. And um, so I, you know, it's funny. You always hear, uh, um, or may, maybe I, I, I can't remember where this comes from. Maybe I came up with it. I don't know. But in the Pentecostal church, you always felt like you were trying to throw water on out of control fires. Where in the uh, Presbyterian church, I always felt like I was trying to light wet wood. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was, like, was kind of like I missed the. I wish I could have found a balance. Um, right. And uh, so we just left the Presbyterian church and wandered around until we found a church that we liked, and it was a vineyard church. Um, and and uh, I just loved it. I felt I had intellectual freedom as well as the uh, experiential side. And, um, you know, that worked for actually the next year I was invited to be the pastor when the pastor of the church left. And um, I became the pastor in 96 and pastored there until 2010 and loved it for the most part. And um, um, yeah, and uh, I eventually left because I felt I was I was trying to continue to grow, and I'd gotten to a point where um, the congregation was no longer really comfortable with uh, my questions and my struggle. And we basically came to a mutual agreement that we were um, no longer theologically uh, um, compatible. Right. And so we had a like an amicable um, separation, you might call it. Yeah, which which is a really tough reality, right? When a pastor is trying to shepherd people and you, you can't shepherd theologically all the time. Well, th- that yeah, that's the... Uh, you know, I see it all the time because I talk with a lot of pastors now. Um, I feel like I'm kind of filling the role of a pastor in some ways online with uh, helping people with their own spiritual journeys and so on. And so I, and any, including pastors. So I see it all the time where um, the, the frustration I felt was um, I wanted to continue growing and exploring and um, expanding and opening. And um, I felt like I'd reached the, uh, thou shall not pass, you know, <laughs> kind of, uh, barrier in my own theological journey. <clears throat> and, you know, I love the people. I love the church. The community was awesome, but um, they, they just weren't uh, willing to continue um, with me. Right. So, uh, and I, I totally get it. I totally understand it. And, and, and it's totally fair, you know, on one level on another level it's totally fair for the congregation to say look this is who we want in a pastor and and they have that right right Um, however on the other hand um what i longed for as a pastor was permission to to explore and continue to grow because i i just felt that my growth would enable their growth um and you know, provide more space for them as well. But um, <clears throat> we just couldn't agree to move ahead together. Well, it seems to me, uh, being familiar, you know, I, I was introduced to you and your work through your work on Instagram and yeah. and your art 
and the way in which you challenge people to think about things in different ways through drawings and cartoons. And I guess my big question is, you know, why? Why did you why did you feel this was the venue, this was the way in which you could keep doing that work? Right. And uh why you thought it was helpful in this way? Well, there's there's a few reasons. One is I've I've been an artist all my life. I can't remember not drawing. I've always drawn and painted and things like that. My dad was an artist and uh you know, I was just inspired to <clears throat> draw and I could draw I could I could draw animals and things and so uh and I took art in school and and things like that so I just enjoy it I just enjoy drawing and um painting now when I started my blog way back in 2005 or something I wasn't you know cartooning at that time uh but I would share my paintings now and then and reflections on art and things like that but I was, uh, you know, I, I like a good cartoon. So, you know, you've got people like uh, Calvin and Hobbes and uh, The Far Side and yeah. other, uh, and uh, other like New York, the New Yorker uh, magazine, um, you know, just excellent cartoons. One frame cartoons for me are just like an amazing, amazing um, form of art. So I thought, <clears throat> why don't I try cartooning? Um, I'll challenge myself. I'll draw a cartoon every day until I run out of ideas. And I thought at the most I would last a few weeks, maybe. Yeah. And that was in 2005. And here I am to 2020 and still doing it. Um, and I, I pretty much draw a cartoon every day. Um, sometimes I don't though, but, uh, so I just, I just enjoy it. I love doing it. I love communicating in that way. Now, the other reason why I do it is because it's, it's such a powerful and subversive form of communication. Um, like to be able to draw, um, something where it immediately provokes somebody either to anger or, uh, to, um, uh, empathy or, or to joy or something to me in an instant. Like it, it just takes some, yeah. like you, your brain registers what it sees in less than a second. You didn't have to read a thousand words. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. You didn't have to read it. And right. A lot of people, you know, um, like me, for example, I'll be reading something and if it doesn't interest me or hold me, or if I don't like what it's saying, I just move on. Whereas with a, my cartoons, it's too late. It's already, <laughs> it's already yeah. ahead. You can't unsee it. So it's very powerful medium to, uh, convey ideas and, um, try to, uh, try to, um, upset the status quo. And, and, you know, it's interesting that you say that, um, because as I've followed along with kind of your work and even as I've shared some of your pieces, um, wow, you did, you shared. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I think the one that specifically I shared, it was definitely, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly which one I believe it was a, uh, I think it was Jesus trying to grab a sheep off of a cliff right with some other sheep holding signs that say all sheep matter oh yeah 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 um yeah. and and it was very poignant right very right <sighs> immediately like you were saying it it just struck me and it kind of you know 
as much as I had been seeing, you know, the conversations of people online between the difference between, you know, Black Lives Matter or saying all lives matter and why why one misses the point. Uh, once you see that that cartoon, it just like you were saying in a second, it hits you to go that just explains it. And I don't have to use words to explain it. Right. Like that just right there shows the thing. But as you were saying, and as uh, even preparing for our conversation today, looking at your uh, podcast, or sorry, your Instagram and your comments, I think it shows the same exact thing, right? You have uh, on your comments, very often it seems that you have people who are exuberant and saying, this just really spoke to me. And then the other side that just is immediately ready to point the finger and like the one I saw today, all caps locks, non, you know, paragraph long uh, reasons of telling you that you're a heretic. And I love that about art. And it really does seem to me that what you're doing is helping people in a way that, you know, a blog or a podcast can help. Yeah, uh, I just heard. Uh, well, actually, somebody just commented yesterday, um, yesterday or the day before, on one of my LGBTQ cartoons, and uh, <clears throat> he said, "You know, I I I used to be uh, anti LGBTQ, and I was very dogmatic and doctrinal about it." He says, "But you ch- you actually your cartoons have changed my mind." Hmm. Like, dude, seriously? And he goes, yeah, I'm serious. I said, please, will you please write me a short testimonial that I can share with people? Because that's that's so powerful that uh, this guy used to be uh, homophobic. And then, you know, he he's actually changed his mind through the power of art. I think that's incredible. Now, you know, along that, because I, I imagine, you know, that – my listeners uh, are going to have a wide variety of beliefs, especially when it comes to that issue. Um, and and when it comes to that, how do you have these conversations surrounding your art that tries to help people have open conversations without that immediate caps lock? Right heretic crying um that you've you've had to deal with i think for some time right yeah i have um and i i know i know your listeners are probably across the spectrum on on where they fall on on that issue um as well as black lives matter and all kinds of issues right um but um for me the way i personally deal with it is yeah i'm i'm all for having a reasonable like a discussion about it. Um, and in fact, you know, as my account grew, I'm, I'm about to pass 50,000 followers on Instagram. You know, I remember back when I had 5,000 and it was very quiet and peaceful, you know, um, <laughs> but now man, it's just like, just, uh, I get all kinds. And so I had to come down. Um, I had to make a decision, uh, because, um, the majority voice out there is um, anti-LGBTQ, for example, um, and, uh, and, and including in the church. And uh, I wanted to just provide a safe space for people to enjoy my uh, affirming art, 
and not to be <clears throat> preached at again, um, like in the church they just left because it's, you know, exclusive or whatever. Right. So I, I just said, and so I came up with a policy. Um, I, del- I, uh, I uh, block hate and uh, ignore stupid. So <laughs> if, if, if you're just saying stupid things like uh, gay people are from Satan and, you know, um, this is a liberal uh, uh, conspiracy to remove children from the earth or whatever, um, I just ignore that kind of stuff because it's laughable. Um, but if it's hateful, I, I delete it. Uh, without question, I just delete it if it's hateful. Now, if somebody comes on and says something like, and this happens, where they say, look, I, I was raised in the church and I was taught my whole life that this is wrong. Like, help me here. Help me I'll understand where you're coming from, because this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that opens up a door for conversation and, um, you know, uh, community. That and 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 I'm really amazed at the graciousness of my LGBTQ friends when somebody approaches it in that way, and they just you know very gently and graciously um, try to guide the person through how uh, they feel um, validated and affirmed and encouraged and and okay with who they are. So that's that's what I do um, most often. So I I, I delete hate. I ignore stupid and I allow the community to um, gather around those who are truly questioning. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's something that isn't necessarily portrayed all the time very well, the having open conversations about things and, and especially on your theological journey, you know, why do you think that may be from what you get to see from your vantage point of someone who is crafting a community around, again, around art and cartoons that is trying to open people up to questions or, you know, see things in new light? Well, so uh, one of the things I did, and I left the ministry in 2010, and I realized how lonely I was. Like um, the church's greatest asset, in my opinion, is um, community. It, it's it's its ability to provide fellowship uh, is I think it's number one asset um, in the world. Yeah, um, you can't find it anywhere else. And people will say, "Oh, I have found it at you know my CrossFit gym, or I found it um, at uh, you know <laughs> I tried different things, right? I tried Toastmasters and uh, different, you know, CrossFit and different things looking for community, but nothing provides community like the church does. I don't care who you are. Uh, yeah. It doesn't because the church, um, I'm a little, going down a little bit of a bunny trail here, but the church provides community in the way that it involves all of you. It, it involves your social life, your spiritual life even your marriage life, your relationship with your kids, your support, your finance, everything is under that umbrella. And you can talk about anything, um, you know, pretty much um, in the support group that is called the church, if it's, if it's healthy and functional. And, and so when I left in 2010, I was very, I realized how lonely I was. And, and I realized that there were very few resources out there for people who'd left the church or were questioning their beliefs or felt like they were losing their faith as they, as they knew it. So in 2012, I launched uh, an online community 
called thelastingsupper.com. And um, people join for 15 a month. And uh, they're just part of an online community of people who are questioning their beliefs, maybe leaving the church, maybe feel like they're losing their faith, and they need a safe place to do that in. And so we have, as members of that um, online community, anybody from church-going believers still to agnostics, to people who are leaving the church or left the church, and even ex-pastors, everybody all the way to atheists. And and we have that wide range of people. And there's a couple hundred people actually in that community right now. And we have a, a, a Facebook private group where we interact. And it's very peaceful and respectful and supportive and beautiful. And you'd wonder how in the world can you do that with church-going believers to all the way to atheists and everybody in between, and it'd be so peaceful. And it's because we have we value community over uh, right. correct doctrine. <laughs> and, right. And, um, you know, we, we value uh, love and respect over conformity. Uh, and, and so I use this as an analogy. Uh, anybody who goes to church knows what a potluck is. So I'm sure everybody in your audience knows what a potluck is. <laughs> Where when you when you take something to a potluck supper, you put it on the table, and when when everybody goes up to the table, you walk along with your plate. And if you see something you like, you put it on your plate. If you see something you don't like, you don't put it on your plate. But you don't say, "Who dare brought this? I don't like this." <laughs> you just move on. And uh, if somebody doesn't take what you brought, you don't say, why didn't you take what I brought? Is there a problem, right. there a problem with me or what? You know, like, so it's just, we, that's how we function in community is when we um, like something, we affirm. If we don't like it and it rubs us the wrong way, we move on. We just keep going. Yeah. Say, I got I just have to say something. I disagree with this so strong. I just have to say something. And you, and you ruin the the sense of community because there are things more important than um, um, doctrinal agreement and and that to me is mutual respect and uh, and compassion love empathy and and so that's that's how I think I'm I'm that's how I'm trying to run the, my community on Instagram is hey you know you're not going to agree with everything I say if you don't agree with it just don't don't comment, you know, just move on. Uh, right. You know, don't, don't, ha- don't make everything the plane upon which you're going to die you know, on the battlefield. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and if you do agree, show support. If you don't agree with somebody, you know, now there also along with that value is you don't bring poisonous food to a, potluck (laughs) right is dangerous or hurtful i will talk to you one-on-one say can you please remove that and here's the reasons why um because yeah so for example um we have atheists people who used to be believers and now are atheists or at least agnostic that's allowed but you're not allowed to be anti-theist Mm, yeah, difference. 
Right. So I've had to remove a couple of people from the group who were atheists, but were also anti-theists. They thought if you were a believer, you're an idiot, basically. And I, I'm like, no, you. there needs to be tolerance for religion, just like there needs to be tolerance for atheism. And right. that, that's how we, uh, that's the value that keeps us together and makes it very dynamic and energetic and supportive. It's interesting uh, that potluck metaphor I like a lot because uh, the same thing growing up going to many potlucks in my Pentecostal tradition. Um, if you really like something, you would actually go out of your way to tell someone that you really liked it. Right. You would try to find out who brought that dish to tell them how much you liked it. But I don't remember any time doing the opposite of being like, you know, I did not like that. I need to make sure I go tell them I didn't like it. Uh, as, as if, as if it really matters if I like it or not. Now I, I know because, you know, you and I, we may not see eye to eye on quite a few things, right? But the question really, I think for some people m- might become, and I think maybe because of your work in trying to help people who are thinking through doubts or helping people think through, uh, some of their questions, is but isn't you know the question might be isn't proper doctrine required for proper service to Christ? And um, how do you deal with that question when people? Because I, I imagine that's the question that's ringing in my head from my upbringing to go, mm-hmm. hey, if you don't have proper doctrine, isn't that food poisonous? Then, well, you know, that's such a huge. It's a, it is a huge question, and I apologize for that. But like the, when I say um, there's something more important than compatibility of belief, um, that's not to say that belief isn't important. Right. Like I, I, I love theology. I think there's healthier theology and unhealthy theology. Yeah. Um, and that's what I – that's what determines for me – what makes it wrong or right? So, um, some people like I, one of my cartoons that caused a real stir was Jesus is talking to a group of people and they all have Bibles tucked under their arms. And Jesus says, the difference between you and me is you use scripture to determine what love means but I use love to determine what scripture means. Hmm. And, and what I'm trying to do there, and it's, uh, it, that really upsets theologians because yeah. theologians, and I, I'm a theologian, theologians basically want to know the truth, uh, the, the um, what's the word, uh, doctrinal truth. They want to know, the truth, and then that will tell us how to act. Right. Yep. That will tell us what's healthy. Whereas, what if love is the end game? What if love, God for God so loved the world, or God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, or in him we live and breathe and have our being, and, you know, uh, like, what if the end game is love and compassion and unity? What theology would get us there is how I think um, the spirit of Christ would operate right rather than the other way around uh, this is theologically correct and 
it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, you will conform. And if you don't conform, you're a heretic and you're no longer in and you're going to hell, right? So that that's one way. Or the other way is how, um, how can we use a hermeneutic of love to get us to a place of harmony as human beings? It's that the classic problem of, you know, how to define love. Do you define it first by God or by scripture who reveals God to us, right? In which case, we've had a long kind of history of revelation, right? Hearing uh, our, our conversation before and your, uh, your, your liking of Karl Barth, right? It kind of sounds familiar in that way, right? And Karl Barth's understanding of, hey, Jesus is what reveals scripture, not scripture to Jesus, right? I'm kind of throwing that out there a little bit right. in a different way than he would say it. But um, in, in which case, you know, it's like you're saying that hermeneutic of love, it, it's another approach, right? Another way of trying to think about scripture and try to think about our relationality with God that for the most part, has not been accepted within the church at large for a very long time. No. Right? Um, and maybe in, in past times in church history, it, it actually has been a bit more accepted. But I think in our our timeline in history, it's our unique reality to have to think about those two different spaces. Right. But one, one question I, I think I have for you as well is, and, and maybe it's more of an anecdotal kind of observation that you might resonate with is it seems to me, especially in the traditions that I've been a part of and come from the more questioning and the more doubting is denied and the more it's repressed, the more I actually see people leaving the faith, not being deepened in their faith. Right? So if you have a doubt, don't question it, just grit your teeth and just hold on to what you, what you believe to be as true and it actually seems to me that I've seen more of my generation, friend groups, so on and so forth, leave because of that reality than I've seen leave the church because of questioning and doubting and being able to actually talk about those things. That's an anecdotal observation. I don't know, with, especially with your work, if you've seen something similar or have any kind of reality close to that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that was my personal experience. Like <clears throat> the reason why I left the church was I felt I no longer had room to grow. And um, for me, questioning and uh, curiosity and exploring and discovering is a part of that growth process. I mean, when you look at uh, infancy, childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, adulthood, and senior adulthood. Those are stages of growth. And one of the most tumultuous times of our growth is during adolescence and young adulthood, where this is where we start questioning our parents' authority. We start questioning <clears throat> when we become young adults, we might quest start questioning our teacher's authority, right. authority of institutions, and, and right on up to government, right on up to God and, and everything. So this is natural. This is just natural growth progressions. And, and if we think holistically about our human lives, spirituality of necessity must be a part of that growth process. And I think the church is great at supporting us during our infancy and our childhood and maybe young adolescence, you know, our, uh, where we're... Um, maybe get a little bit radical, you know, and 
and you know we get out there witnessing and uh, being really um, in your face about Jesus and everything. But when we start questioning our beliefs and questioning authority and questioning systems and structures and assumptions and the status quo, that's where the church drops the ball because that's where it loses its control over the lives of its people. But if the church could be more open-handed towards people who are going through this process, eventually these people, if they're, if they know they have space to explore and question, um, then they will, they won't leave. They might leave for a season, but like the prodigal son, they'll return realizing that, um, you know, this is a, a safe space where I'm allowed to continue to grow in my own way. And, and so it's really about freedom. If, uh, you know, we, it's like, it's like many of my cartoons address this because I think freedom is the bottom line. I think that's the bottom issue. Freedom isn't a longer leash. Uh, right. Absolutely no leash. But we're, you know, churches are afraid of that. They, they always want their people somehow connected. But if we can, if we can go and explore for a while and then realize, you know what, um, I, I know what I know, kind of like with the uh, First Nations people who go off their spiritual quest into the wilderness to find out their spirit animal, etc. Um, but return to the village when they've had their spiritual journey, you know, their spiritual quest accomplished. I think we need something like that in the Christian church where we, we might go off for a time, have our spiritual quest, <clears throat> find out who we are, find out how we fit in this whole theological realm of things and and um become totally authentically us where our spirituality is organically ours um and yet we still fit within the christian family because it's you know open-handed and gracious and um big enough and safe enough to to handle us right it sounds sounds very much like um richard Rohr's book falling upward yeah, and this kind of two stages of life, but really is the cyclical stages of life, right? Mm-hmm. The the moving from certainty to uncertainty, or you know, sometimes the words are used construction to deconstruction, back to reconstruction, right? Is a constant constant thing in a Christian's life, and like you, I think when we when we stifle that deconstruction and reconstruction, all we ever do is make the person upset or angry or make them find their own freedom. You know, using that example of the leash, I haven't had a dog for too long, just a few years now, you know, personally I have my own dog and it's a German shepherd. So it's a big dog. And, uh, to use that metaphor, you know, the anxiety that I go through every time my dog is outside, not on a leash is insane because I'm, I'm, I I can't not, spend any time thinking, is my dog going to see another dog and something's just going to go off on him? Is my dog going to just bolt on me? Is he just going to, you know, even if I'm in my own backyard, I'm like, is he just going to, is he going to go? Because I can't control him when he's not on the leash. When he's on the leash though, he might pull, he might jerk me a bit, but at the end of the day, I can, I can pull him back, right? Like I can, I can hold on to him. And, and I think there's something what, to what you're saying there, too, in terms of personhood. When we, when we don't allow people off the leash, so to speak, it's going to be a, a neck-breaking experience. 
of yeah. constantly pulling hard against that leash or being yanked back by that leash. And no, my dog hates that. I hate that. Everyone hates that, right? Um, and as as much as I've tried, he is just not great on a leash and walking him on a leash is just never going to work. Uh, no amount of training has helped, right? Um, so I like that. And, and the hard part for me personally is where do we find those kind of safe places or how do we create better safe places where we can both on one hand say, we love you. And we think, we think that this is the best way versus the, uh, and while at the same time, sorry, with the other hand saying, Hey, let's actually spend time thinking about what you're questioning or doubting or going through rather than just saying, yeah, you can go just do it yourself. Because that also doesn't seem to be very beneficial either, right? Well, um, what like um, when I was when I was pastoring, I I, I wrote a couple of books. Um, um, one of them is called "Without a Vision, My People Prosper," and mm. uh, my whole the whole point of that book is is uh, talking about how visionary thinking um, in the leadership of the church can actually kill community. And uh, it, it, uh, it, it, it basically um, compares a, a church community to say a family where we I think the healthiest and most functional families are families that are very open handed um, about how they raise their kids and how they have expectations of each other where, you know, you don't sit down and say, okay, this is how our family's going to look. This is what our family needs to do to look that way in the community. And this is how all you kids have to behave. And you wife need to behave like this and I'll do this and we'll, you know, fulfill this vision I have for our family. Um, that, that would kill the members of your family. It would kill you. And, and, but we do that with church all the time where we try to make people, um, fit, um, fit into a a program or or a scheme or a strategy or a vision. So my whole argument is, um, instead of, you know, Without a vision, my people perish. Without a vision, my people prosper. Um, where uh, I think, and I, I actually experimented with this in the last church I pastored, where we decided to put away our annual goals and our mission statement and our, our visionary thinking and our vision for the year or the five years or the 10 and just be, just be. Yeah. And it was powerful. It was powerful. Chaotic? Yeah. But it was, a creative, <laughs> it was a creative chaos. It was wonderful. And, um, you know, to this day, people said, you know what? Never experienced community like that before. And, you know, it kind of spoiled me forever, hoping to see that again. It's rare. It's rare to see that. And, and I know of a few places in the world that uh, are experimenting with it. And because that's all it is. It's, it's, it's an experiment. It's something you have to try. And um, hope it works, you know, and uh, hope it doesn't blow up. And uh, like I, I always say, there's no perfect church. There's only perfect moments. 
and you know j- just keep trying to provide that safe space of freedom for people and one more thing uh one of the thing i think the most important question the church can wrestle with in terms of the quality of its community is how can i be free without violating your freedom if a church wrestles with that question how can yeah. i be free without yeah. violating your freedom and how can you be free without violating mine that makes for a powerful dynamic energetic um community yeah and and i think that's such a great question a, a question that often kind of misses uh really challenges what we often think, right? I'm free and my freedom becomes a carte blanche to do whatever I want while at sometimes it's repressing or suppressing someone else's freedom. Right. And, and I think it's really beautiful to actually look at both sides of that. How can I be free without taking away someone else's freedom, which might put limitations on myself, right? And I'm free to put those limitations on myself, um, uh, it's, it's compassionate and empathetic to, uh, you know, you want to live free, but if you're doing something that's hurting people, right. It's like my, my daughter, when she was 16 was free to ride a motorcycle, but there's no way I would have let her drive a motorcycle. And she, in her wisdom chose not to drive a motorcycle because she not 16, let's say 14, because here it's legal to drive a motorcycle when you're 16, <laughs> 14. It, it would have been foolish and, and dangerous and she might've killed herself and others. So yeah, there, there is freedom, but then there's responsibility. And, and so how, how can I be free without violating your freedom? How can I be free without harming you, hurting you? Um, and how can you be free without hurting and harming me? Uh, then that creates, I think, uh, a powerful kind of um, template for how to build community. Now, to go back to your art real quick in that kind of vein of things, how do you see your art as doing that exact thing, helping create freedom for people while not taking away the freedom and of others, but also where it challenges people in that perception of there is no such thing as absolute freedom? Excuse me. Um, uh, <laughs> that might be a weird question. We might strike that question. It just kind of hit me. I, I, it's it's um, oh, unpack it a bit more for me. I think it's important. Yeah. No, what I mean by that is, you know, if we talk about kind of the way that your art really pushes people to think about things in a different way, to ask questions about the way in which they have doctrinally been raised or nationalistically understand things, um, doing so in conversation with your theology, to what level is that kind of balance in your mind of saying, what I'm trying to do with art isn't trying to overcome your freedom and telling you how you have to think, how you have to believe, versus saying but there is some, something really important here that you should think about and you need to, and you need to kind of wrestle with. Yeah. So a lot of people think I'm anti-church, anti-pastor, anti-religion, even anti-spiritual. And, and they couldn't be further from the truth. They obviously haven't read me enough or whatever. 
Um, I love the church. The church is like my mother spiritually. Um, and uh, I love theology. I love and support pastors. Um, I, I, I think um, so when it comes to things like liturgy and worship music and pastoral ministry and paid clergy and church owning buildings and money and all this. I don't care. I, I really, really don't care. I, you know, I, th- those things aren't important to me. What's important to me is freedom of the individual yeah, uh, and, and love. How can we act uh, in love Um and how can we respect the freedom of others and so on? How can we um, uh, um, call out the church if we do believe in the church and, and that it has value, uh, as I do? How do we encourage the church and call out the church where it falls short of what I think it ought to be doing? So let's say, for example, one of the things I things. I talk a lot about is spiritual abuse or church abuse or religious abuse. And um, where we see uh, a lot of people suffering from all kinds of different abuses in the church. And uh, for many people, it's eye-opening where they see like one of my cartoons is where I, I show how we might rebrand, the church might rebrand things to make it look, uh, you know, permissible and even appropriate and encouraged in the church where uh, instead of uh, manipulation, we call it persuasion or instead of uh, uh, shaming, we might call it discipline. Yeah. Instead of uh, um, um, verbal abuse, we might call it instruction, (laughs) (laughs) you know, whatever we, we relabel it to make it palatable. And, and, you know, when I do cartoons like that, a lot of people are like, oh, oh my, like I, this is my life. I can't, you know, I, and they, it's, it's kind of like their eyes are open to the, uh, uh, an interpretation of their reality that they, they never even considered before. Right. And um, can finally decide to make steps to get out of a toxic unhealthy, abusive situation. Yeah. Which, which I find wonderful because it, it seems there's not very many communities that take open-handed approaches as you've, you know, expressed the, the, I'm going to offer something, but you don't have to take it. Right. But also don't throw it in my face. Um, and allowing people to actually kind of mull over things. And I, and I can't help but to think, and this is such a, a, a weird question in my mind. I, yeah, I just like transported back to being like 10 years old uh, and asking that question in, in relation to those deep questions, what would Jesus do, right? If we brought those questions to, to Jesus in a true wrestling sense, is Jesus the kind of person as the fullness of God and and man in one to say, here's the right answer and don't ask the question again. Or is he the kind of person to give us a parable to ask us to spend time contemplating it rather than here's your exact answer. Right. Well, um, I, I just 
published another book, um, if I can mention it. Um, oh, of till, course you can. Till Doubt Do Us Part, When Changing Beliefs Change Your Marriage. And it's all about people who are, are married. They get married um, and they're totally on the same page spiritually, you know, doctrinally, theologically, spiritually, everything. And, um, and then maybe one or both start questioning their beliefs or doubting or, you know, going through some kind of a change spiritually. And what happens is it really causes a lot of conflict and uh, in the marriage often, and many marriages don't survive. And so I wanted to write this book to help couples who are going through it because Lisa and I went through it as well, where um, we came through the other side um, more in love. Uh, Our relationship was richer and deeper for it um, because we, we learned some important lessons along the way. And one of them was, I didn't fall in love with what Lisa believed. I right. fell in love with how she believed. Like I, I didn't fall in love with what she thought. I fell in love with how she thought and, and yeah. like deeper things. So like, what would Jesus do? I would apply the same principle. You know, I don't, I don't think it's helpful to look for a rule or, you know, a, a direct, uh, um, you know, direction in in one statement about what we're supposed to do but rather how how should we approach this what would be the most meaningful loving compassionate gracious patient kind way to approach this situation um you know it's it's like uh it's like going to the the deeper issues of life rather than the you know i think superficial doctrine right um, while we're on the subject, cause I, I love that. And, and I think that is, that's a struggle I think for a lot of church people who, especially younger people who get married young and they get married in the church and the two people seem to be very similar cause they're both 23 and really haven't questioned much. Uh, and then all of a sudden start going through that, that can be really tough. It's not my story, my wife's story, we actually got married much later uh, than our 20s. But uh, I say much later, I guess not that much later. Um, uh, yeah. But while we're on the subject, you know, because we're kind of closing up our time together, you know, if you wouldn't mind letting people know about your other books and about how they can kind of partner in with your community and what you're doing, or if they don't agree, as we've talked about, just pass on by. <laughs> yeah. Um- yeah, so I'm I'm very busy all the time. I'm I'm always I'm always drawing and writing and stuff. So I just published my ninth book, Till Doubt Do Us Part. Um, I've got my previous book is Questions Are the Answer. Um, I've got a book on deconstruction. I've got a book on um, coming out for LGBTQ folk. I've got um, I got a bunch. I got a book on Sophia. So I just have a bunch of books that are all on Amazon available for you, but you can find everything I do at nakedpastor.com. And, um, you know, it, it'll take you to my books. It'll take you to my cartoons and my t-shirts and, you know, um, my online community, the lasting supper and, um, uh, you know, my writing and everything. So I'm on all the social platforms, you know, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, <laughs> everywhere. Um, and I'm really good at responding to people. If you reach out, um, and want to reach out to me, just do it and I'll be sure to answer you. 
Well, David, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I appreciate uh, the openness that you bring to a, a space where maybe it's not so available all the time. And I appreciate you just having this conversation and letting us kind of hear the way that you think and why you think that way. Well, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. And um, thanks to all your listeners, too. Uh, I hope that we can speak soon. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm.